technology comes at a cost. And unless we, the problem is now we just accept technology without question. Yeah. We rarely say, okay, yes, I now have this technology, but what am I going to lose because I have this? And I'd say one of the things that people have lost is introspection because they're always connected. There's never silence. They're never left alone with their thoughts. Hello, and welcome to Evander Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shearer. And I realized I, I saw like a twitch in me when I said weekly. I, I, I was like, I was like, there's a disruption in the uh, matrix. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Last week we didn't record. It was uh, basically, I didn't have it in me to do it and I don't want to push down to do it. So it was, it is what it is. So we're back this week. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna, after uh, talking about our new series on uh, Acts, we're already going to uh, derail it. <laughs> Just for a moment. Yeah. Um, I have found that I've had this issue recurring since March and it seems to have gotten worse as uh, this self-isolation and pandemic has gone on, which is trying to have meaningful conversations with people. Now, mm -hmm. what I mean by that is I understand you will most likely never convince somebody they're wrong or you're right on Facebook. So you're saying not just conversations, so not like you and I having a conversation, but more like debates or discussions around something where you have disagreements? I would say it's a both and, honestly. Um, so when I've been in uh, proximity with people, socially distanced, trying to have meaningful conversations, it's almost like we've forgotten how to do it. Or, um, so it's, it's mostly, it seems mostly superficial, or it is just completely word vomit. I'm going to tell you every little thing that's happened um, to the point of, I don't know how to receive that as a person listening. Mm. But also, um, even with uh, texting or social media, trying to um, have a debate or maintain some type of uh, conversation, it just seems like that since this whole thing has started, that human community, that human touch uh, has really, that's been missing has shown a light on on me where it's like I, I need that in order to remember how to talk to people yeah and I know that you are your entire life is built around conversations you since I've known you one of the things that you've always been kind of forward on is having meaningful discussions asking good questions or even just questions in general um, and taking the posture of a student in almost every case. Right. And so I'm just curious, like, have, have you had that experience? Like, what are, everything seems so hot right now. And it's just like, I don't know how to engage in, like, anything, it seems like. 
Yeah, you know, I think there's a few things going on, right? Like, one is that the anytime we have a mediation, anytime we're we're mediated, right? So, like, um, have a buffer between us and another human. I think it uh, it it allows us to be less uh, reflective of the fact that the person we're speaking to is human, right? And I don't think any of that is necessarily conscious. I think sometimes it is, like if you want to anonymously write something mean about someone, uh, you can do that and you're consciously allowing them to not be able to see you or know who you are when you write it or when you engage it. And so that gives you a little bit of freedom. But I think we're even seeing boldness and brashness on social media where your name is attached right uh and it's not just under pseudonyms it's actually your name uh and i think i think a lot of that comes from just we're we have this buffer between us and the other person that makes us feel a little bit more free to treat them as less than human and i think covid has exasperated that because for many of us, we haven't been around people uh, all that much, uh, or it's been greatly reduced or what have you. And so the vast majority of our quote unquote meaningful conversations are happening with mediation. And that mediation keeps getting more and more increased as people are having Zoom fatigue, people are doing, like right now we're recording this via Zoom, so I can at least see you and interact with you. Um, but I think that if I couldn't see you, there's a chance that I would be doing something else while talking to you. I would be, I wouldn't necessarily just be sitting here focused on what we're talking about. So I'd be distracted. I'd have other things going on, which allows, you know, bits and pieces of frustrations or distractions that allow me to be more curt or allow me to, uh, you know, express more, distress in the conversation. So I think I think there's a bunch of that stuff going on. I mean, have you experienced some of that? Like if you really reflect and think like Oh, sure. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I I can even think of times where that's been where I've been the person doing that just because you know, technology was supposed to make everything easier and I was mm -hmm. using air quotes with that, but uh, it seems to have just made um, output in different ways more demanding and so now that i can multitask and talk to somebody on the phone while responding to an email um there's going to be a, a loss of, of focus and and honoring in, in that and when i say honoring i mean like you know one of the things that i try to do and when i'm engaging with somebody is be fully present right because that's the minimum that they deserve sure it's it, which is you know, so yeah, I've, I've experienced that, but uh, something that I've, uh, okay. We had some, uh, visitors last week <laughs> and, uh, one, something that they had said, uh, was how, you know, the black lives matter things that we've already talked about on, on the podcast, uh, just the political unrest that's currently going on. They refuse to, uh, engage in, in anything other than person-to-person uh, -person conversation because they view Christians responding to something like that 
on any kind of platform, whether it's blog, um, YouTube video, social media posts, whatever, is being viewed as less than and less than integrity, or their integrity doesn't match what they view it should. Okay. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, and so it was one of those things that was just kind of spurring this off as, um, okay, so you, you only talk about this stuff in a place where you can control the environment and the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think most of us are more comfortable with that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, true. worse than, you know, getting portrayed on the internet uh, in a short clip and people make all kinds of assumptions about who you are as a human being uh, because you're out of control of that uh, situation, right? I guess in that context, yes, that would, that would make sense. Or you post something on Facebook and then it, it ends up getting its own legs and going and but it, the assumption is wrong of what you're saying. So I, I think, I think people are a little, uh, man, I do not want to use this phrase, but gun shy, <laughs> uh, when it comes to some of the social media stuff. And so in some ways I understand like the whole, like, I'm only going to talk about this if I'm in person because I think it's really nuanced. I can't make those nuances. Uh, you know, if you look at my Facebook page or my social media, I, most of my stuff is me just reposting someone else's thing. I very rarely post my own thoughts on stuff comparatively, like the percentage of the, and a lot of that's because I'm someone who loves nuance. I'm someone who loves uh, to make sure that uh, it's well thought out and it's, uh, you know, there's lots of things to reflect on and think about. And I can't do that in a, in a social media post. Um, and so I just end up becoming exhausted by the very idea of fitting a nuanced argument into a, something the size of a bumper sticker. No, that, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I definitely get that. Well, I guess one of the, the questions I have for you then is, is there some type of way to have, maybe not as nuanced of a conversation, but in, in the age, in the age we currently live in, in the, in the, in the world we live in right now, it seems like that there is no space for nuance when it comes to um, hard conversations. Or at least, you know, I'm, I'm speaking totally from my, my own experience, which is skewed. Um, Sure. And so, because I'm like you, you know, I, every now and again, I'll throw out something that I, I actually think or, but most of the time it's, it's me sharing other things, but I, I love the nuance of it also because that's where it matters. Right. Uh, I think a lot of it is that we're just impatient conversationalists now. Right. Like, say more. I, I, I think. I think when I, when I think about conversations I have with people, it's people want more gotcha moments than they want thoughtful moments. Um, people are waiting for their turn to talk instead of listening when someone else is talking. 
and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, right? And so, like, I think there's a lot of that. And I think in some ways, it's our conversations are reflecting social media patterns, right? Because think about it. If you read a meme on social media or someone's quip about a theological or political view or whatever it might be, rarely do we ask the person meaningful, thoughtful questions about their post. Instead, we offer a rebuttal. We post a link to Snopes. We call it fake news. We do, we do all kinds of things, but rarely have I seen a post on Facebook or any social media for that matter that someone posts something and someone says, you know, uh, what, what is it about this that is meaningful to you? Or what, what about this statement um, seems to, to ring true to you? And what is your experience around it? Like, I just never see that, right? And to say never, obviously I've seen that on occasion, but extraordinarily rare. And I think our conversations have begun to reflect that where if someone says something, we're rarely interested in how they came to the conclusion or came to that understanding. And if, if we are willing to ask a question about it, oftentimes then the person isn't used to being asked a question about it and they assume it's, it's a setup. They assume it's a, it's a, another way of conflict or that they're like, okay, what's the gotcha in the question that uh, they're going to try and get me with, right? Because we're just not used to any longer having this, this dialogue that uh, allows or maintains the dignity in the other person. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of really good things you just said. <laughs> which is why I was I was writing them down. Um, Good, because I don't remember what I said. Okay, well, good. You can listen to it tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so there's, you, you said maintaining the dignity with the other person. Do you think that this comes from a potential uh, fear of showing vulnerability in an age where it can be captured forever? Uh, that's an interesting thought. I... If it is, I would say that's subconscious, right? Um, I don't know that that's, that's a conscious decision. I mean, maybe it is. That's a good question. I'd, I'd have to really ponder that some more, right? Like, um, like for me, I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, George, I'd have to ponder that. That's, a, that's an interesting question that I'm not, off the top of my head, I, I can't really give a response to. I want to mark this down at 924 on this day. I asked you a question you were not ready to respond to. Well, I don't even know a question to ask in response to it, right? Like, I mean, the questions that come to mind is, well, first of all, what do you mean by vulnerability? And then I think about uh, what is, what, why, why do you perceive that people are afraid of vulnerability? Well, I guess, okay, let's, let's start from there. Um, because this could either go down horribly or to something good. Uh, so when I, when I say vulnerability, what I mean by that is a willingness to show, um, for a lack of better 
word, they're who they truly are, as in willing to allow um, a, a moment of all of my guards being let down. And I'm not talking, you know, usually in my experience, how I uh, grew up and who I grew up around, showing that stuff um, in a way that wasn't a gotcha or a posturing stance was shown as weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I loved theater when I was in high school and, and junior high, and there were a lot of perceptions about me from different family members and whatnot because I loved theater and musical theater so much. It was just a side of me that allowed me to kind of figure out who I was and be accepted by different people uh, that they, that others didn't get. And so like, it felt like looking back on it, that there was this side of, or there was this vulnerability to that where I just didn't, I, I didn't care. I was trying to live into who I truly was by enjoying this thing that most people didn't understand. And, and you know, that's a super small comparison, but you know, it, so when I say um, the opportunity to be vulnerable in a way that can catch you forever, like the internet saying, I don't know is a sign of it, it to me is, is an act of vulnerability that can be misconstrued as, as weakness because of how we live and where we live right now. Well, I even think vulnerability and being angry, uh, you know, responding in anger to something is is a certain vulnerability that uh that can be captured uh right and oh, absolutely misconstrued or used as a uh can be weaponized to uh to declare this to be a persistent or consistent truth about you instead of just a a moment right so uh so yeah i think i think there is some concern about vulnerability um or being honest uh in our emotions because it can be captured or uh context can be lost in the setting i'm not sure like does that thought go through your mind a lot which one like am i being too vulnerable here or like is this this moment of vulnerability something that's going to be captured um, sometimes it does. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it might not have that exact language to it, but the idea is still the same where I worry that, um, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say won't be coming across well because it's text or because it's, um, social media or because of, you, you know, email, it's, it's hard to read inflection when it comes to that. So I definitely censor myself uh, because I'm, I'm concerned about how it will be perceived by someone else. Okay. Yeah. I think when, when you initially asked the question about vulnerability, uh, I was thinking more along the lines of, um, you know, demonstrating weakness. Yeah right? That I'm vulnerable because I don't know the answer. Now you mentioned that piece, right? But like that's more where my mind was going with vulnerability was like, I don't know the answer or, um, or I share like maybe afraid to share some of the history, uh, that I've experienced that has led me to the place that I am now in my understanding of something. 
Um, and I think there's, so social media's done an interesting thing. So I feel like, I, I know this might feel like I'm starting, a, I'm a vo- stepping away from that and starting something new, but I hopefully we can bring it together, right? So social media has done something interesting. So if you're familiar with the way um, spaces work, and when I talk about spaces, I'm talking about like uh, um, communicative type spaces, right? So then there, there's, it begins with intimate space. So intimate space would be like uh, someone and their spouse or even a sibling or just a best friend where that space is extremely intimate in the sense of like, you share secrets, you share uh, language and uh, history that has been communicated in a way that there's a deep, deep connected understanding. Yeah, there's also a, a safety to work through something and be wrong. Sure. First time you say it, or, yeah. So you have that intimacy group, and that's usually never more than like three people. Uh, at a time, right? You might have more people that you have that intimate relationship with, but usually that discussion or that space of conversations is usually no more than like three people. Um, And then you have, uh, oh, what is it? I think it's um, personal space, personal, which is like friends. Uh, so maybe like a group of anywhere from four people to like 15 people. So like people that you might have over for a meal and hang out for the evening and everyone kind of knows each other pretty well, but you don't necessarily know everyone's deep, dark secrets. Um, and you're not going to probably sit around talking about those things unless your get together has a lot of alcohol. Um, then you might, right. But like, it's more, it's more personal. So you have a deeper connection, you know each other's children's names, or you know each other's extended family names, or you're related, but you're not necessarily siblings or something, or spouses, right? So like, that's more personal space. So it has less of that intimate language. And then there's social space. And social space would be like, you know, 17 people to 60 people. And that might be like a New Year's Eve party or um, family reunion, something like that. What's that? A family reunion or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So like family reunion where, again, it's more superficial conversation, right? It's, it's less, it's even less intimate than the small gathering person. Like I, when I think about like the personal space, you know, my spouse and I've been hosting uh, and started this agape meal that every Sunday, a group of people anywhere from seven to 15 or so people show up for lunch and we all have lunch together. And I would say that's very personal space, right? Like we all know each other. There's intimacy there, but it's not as intimate as if Tana and I sat down for a conversation. So then social space would be, you know, kind of open to the public type thing where you might, you might still see people and hang out and talk about things and, find out people's interests and hobbies and stuff, but you're probably not going to go much deeper than that. And then the next space is, is public space. And that's usually space reserved for 70 people or more. So for a lot of people, that's their church, right? Is public space. And this whole study, I think really actually is an important one when we think about church, because we, we have church on Sunday, 
or Saturday, depending on, on when your church practices such things, right? And if your church is over 70 people, there's it's a public space feeling that your body just naturally, your mental mindset is public space. But then the pastor from the front wants you to behave as though it's personal space. Maybe even during a confession time or something, if you have such things, wants you to treat it like an intimate space, which makes it really super complicated, weird, and not healthy. I think the same thing's true. So like public space would also be like as big as like a sporting event where you're sitting next to someone, you've never met them before. You might high five them or you might tease them a little bit if they, if they're rooting for the opposite squad than you. Right. But, um, but ultimately uh, you don't, you might learn their name, but that's probably it. Right. Uh, And you only learn their name because you ask them to pass the beer down to you uh, that you just ordered from the person selling it. Right. Like, so all of this stuff is really important for us, but then we get into, so let's use Facebook as an example. Okay. Post something that is about me personally um, and an interaction I had. Well, someone else comes in who I only know loosely. So they're not, they're not personal and they're not intimate. They are uh, social. And they all of a sudden respond. Well, now I have to think, okay, how do I engage this person or explain my view? Because if you don't know me personally, or you don't know me intimately, you're not really going to get this. So now do I share this personal stuff? Do I share this intimate stuff? And then someone else hops in that you've never met before. This may be a friend of that person. And now they have an opinion about what you wrote. And now all of a sudden in one setting, you might have your spouse or your best friend respond, someone who you only know socially and someone you've never met before all interact in one space. And it kind of reminds me of Paul writing letters to these churches that had all of these different facets going on, right? That we read and go, Paul, you, man, you were, we can't, it's hard to understand what you're saying, but I would say the same thing's true oftentimes on like social media because it becomes this really big conflict of like, how much do I have to explain to this person? Um, I always think in terms of like a geometry problem where the first step of a geometry problem is a given, right? Like it's the first thing if-, if I, I have no, I took remedial math for two years and that was 15 years ago or no more than that now. So the first step of every geometry problem is, is it just says given because the given is the actual problem. So the first step of the problem, you just write given instead of rewriting the whole problem. Okay. And so in the same way, the givens on a social media post change depending on who's reading it, right? Like someone else reads it and the given that they read is very different than the given that maybe your spouse or your or best friend might read. And that becomes really complicated and convoluted. And then you have people jumping in and jumping out from different segments of that space, right? You might have a friend that you have a really deep, meaningful relationship with to jump in to defend you or to argue. And then you have someone else who is just, you know, kind of an acquaintance and they jump in and, and all this is happening. And nobody 
can actually communicate well with each other in that setting because we don't occupy the same space at the same time often. Does any of that make sense? Yes, it does. And I think that's the big problem with social media um, is, is we just have, we have public people jumping into intimate conversations. Have you ever had that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, I've, no, I've had that recently, um, which is one of the things that started spurring this, this question along. Or like, I, I guess not to so much this question, but this line of thinking, because it just has made no sense to me. Right. It, it's like, a, you know, usually this might come a, across weird, but I usually post, if I post a news article, it's my, I post it with deeply laid sarcasm. Um, which, if you know me, that makes sense. Uh, and, and just seeing people respond with what they believe to be absolute truths um, is where I've been kind of at my uh, wits end because it's just like, you know, I want to be able to, I, I don't want to fall into the trap because I can easily, I used to be able to easily um, dismiss somebody's thoughts and opinions and, you know, I don't want to be like that anymore. I mean, it's, it's such an easy thing to do. And no matter who, I'm, where I currently stand, I feel no matter who it is that is deeply dehumanizing. And anytime I find that wherever it is, I, I want, if I have the ability to, to squash that out or to not do it myself, I, I take that opportunity because I don't want to add to dehumanization of any type. Right. Um, and so I try and take my time and respond individually. And sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's two weeks, whatever. Um, but when you just laid out, not just the study, but tied it in with, uh, one, uh, you know, how Paul's letters read today, that really unlocks something in me. And I always get a little upset when Paul is used to do that. Mm. <laughs> not really. I mean, it's a bit of a joke, but like, it makes, no, it makes absolute, yes, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it becomes significant for us, right? Like it's, it's super important for us to, to take a breath and realize that as the writer of the original thought, we can't anticipate the depth that the respondents are going to have. And and possibly how our posts or our ideas read to somebody who doesn't know us at all. Like we're not necessarily good at that, right? We're not necessarily good at reading something that, that we post because we know our intentions. We know the story behind it. We know how we arrived at those opinions and those ideas. We know so much, like we could argue we're in that intimate group with ourselves, right? That we, we know, everything or all the work that we have put in in order to arrive at that opinion or that idea. And so when someone else comes in and reads it, but has no, no story behind it, no history behind how we got there, they're reading it as, and, and not considering any of those things. And I would say, and we do that all the time to other people. 
Um, it's why we like to call people sheep, which I just saw a post that was interesting that so many Christians call uh, other people sheep for not wearing or for wearing masks or something and how ironic it is because we're supposed to be sheep or something. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, this, this is interesting though, because we'll call someone a sheep because, or we'll call them lemmings or we'll call it just, and I'm trying to think of the nicest names I've read. Oh yeah. All people, false teachers, um, you know, those types of things because we arrived at a moment in their life, whether it be uh, you know, a one minute video clip or it be a uh, meme or you know, a couple sentences on a social media, we've arrived at this uh, Polaroid moment of their life. It's what we do to the Bible. We take one verse, pluck it out of the entire Bible and say, without understanding anything that led up to that moment. And we make a decision about what it means and whether we agree with it, disagree with it, or whether or not we can apply it to someone else in meaningful or hurtful ways. And the same thing's true with social media. It is basically, and actually I kind of like this now I'm saying it out loud. Social media is the, allows us to cherry pick the verses of people's lives. Right. And I, I think that's true. And then we either invest in the person's life to find out how they got there. We investigate, we ask questions, we engage, or we just pluck that out of there, take it in whatever context we want to apply to it or apply it to our own context and then either bash it or hold it up as true. Yeah. Man, the that's good. We allow social media to cherry pick people's lives. Yeah, the verses of our own lives, right? Like yeah. if you think about it, I mean, all of us are a book being written. Um, and social media might be the first time that we've we've had it recorded for the masses to just you know pick apart in whatever way they want. Yeah. Ooh, that gave me chills. You know, another piece I think is interesting with our current culture of communication, and it's not just COVID, it's just, you know, where we lack face-to-face. -face. It's that, um, George, are you familiar with a, what a rotary phone is? Oh, very much so. Okay. I, uh, I love rotary phones. In fact, to the point where I've tried to convince my wife in, in the last, I haven't tried to do it yet in this one, but in our last house, we had a built in. You said in this one, I was like this wife. No, 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 no. One, one and done. Um, the, uh, the, so in our last house, we used to have this uh, phone station that was like I don't know, 80 years old or whatever. And I wanted to rewire it so we could put a, a rotary phone in there because yeah. I love heavy phones. Okay. And just uh, when I was a kid, my, uh, my grandmother had one. So I loved just playing with it. And I accidentally dialed 911, I think, one time from it. Just it's, yes, sorry. I love rotary phones. So, but back in the day where we had house phones and we didn't have cell phones, right? 
uh, first of all, you were lucky one if the person had call waiting, right? Otherwise, you just got a busy signal. And for those of you that never heard a busy signal, it sounds like eh, 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 eh. <laughs> I mean, and I remember, so when we moved to Michigan, when I was like, I don't know, seven years old, we had a, at times, we still shared up, we had a party line. Nice. Yeah. Look that up, kids. So, so busy signals and you might not have call waiting. Some people didn't even have an answering machine. So the phone would just ring and ring and ring until you finally gave up. Right. And so all of these pieces gave us, I shouldn't say gave us, but we were, we allowed ourselves to let the answering machine get it right. Popular words in households in the eighties and nineties was just let the answering machine get it right because we didn't feel obligated to answer our phone. Now we're obligated to always be reachable. In fact, my, sometimes the most frustrating thing in my day is trying to figure out how a person communicated with me. I have to be as, I have to check to see what, was it an email they sent me? Did they text me? Did they Facebook messenger me? Um, did they, was it over discord? Where was this thing that they sent? Or maybe it was Slack, right? And I have people that communicate with me on all of those platforms and even direct message in Twitter, right? Like, so like I have people that communicate with me in all those platforms. And I, the hardest part for me sometimes is remembering which platform they communicate, what piece of information with me on in order to remember the other thing is, if you don't respond to one, they send it to another. And there's this indignity of like, well, I texted you, but you never texted me back. Um, and so there's this obligatory piece to, to communication now that exists that did not exist when I was younger. So just in the last 20 years, uh, non-physical present communication has shifted from optional to obligatory. And I think that also has harmed our ability to have meaningful conversations. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because, <clears throat> you know, if you, if you don't respond, so I, I've had this issue too, where people have asked me questions in, in emails, and I, I need to take time and think about it. But I have to let them know that yes, I received it. And then I'll I'll, I'll put a, I'll respond to it. And now there's this time limit, whether it's, yes. oh, it drives me up the friggin' wall because it's like, now I can no longer, I feel extremely pressured to um, get back to them so they can move forward quickly in this, even if it's something that they don't need to. Um, or I should say, if I perceive it's something that they should need to, uh, yeah. it, it now hinges my ability to respond yep and usually when there's that timetable it's just i'm trying to get it out there so um i can so so people can move forward and then we'll deal with fallout later mm -hmm. and i'm somebody that tries to mitigate fallout by spending probably too much time thinking or going through something yeah yeah i feel like we're no longer given the ability to and Jesus woke up early and went up onto the mountain to be alone. I feel like we no longer have that privilege. 
right? Like it, someone's like, I called, why didn't you answer your phone? I, I didn't know I had to, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that if my phone rang, I was required by some kind of social uh, contract to answer it. And I don't want that to sound mean or dismissive because I get it. I get frustrated sometimes if I text someone and they don't respond or I don't hear back from them. But for the most part, I, if I want to hear back from someone, I include that in the text. Like, hey, I'm going to wait. I need to, I need to know I have, I have to make this decision within whatever. Can you please try and get back to me, right? But, you know, I had someone say to me one time, they're like, the one thing I like, Don, is that if you answer your phone, I know you have time to talk because otherwise you won't answer your phone. Like, I do not answer the phone if I'm meeting with someone. Uh, if my phone dings when I'm meeting with someone, unless I'm expecting something, I usually realize, oh shoot, I've got to turn off my ringer. I turn off my ringer, put my phone away. Um, and I just, one of the ways that I feel like I've been able to capture some of my own healthy dialogue is that I don't dialogue at the whim of others. Uh, and oftentimes when I dialogue at the whim of others, that's when uh, I can get myself in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, <laughs> yes, same. Um, and it's, what's interesting about this is, uh, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, my wife and I were talking about how uh, something was going on with my phone. It just kept going off and it wasn't anything that was important. And I just lamented that I wish I could go back to a flip phone. Mm -hmm. And she took that serious and ran with it, which was very upsetting because she'd said that she could probably go back to one easier than I could. And mm. I always maintain that, um, falsehood that I could just walk away from from everything like that and not have an issue and be unreachable be be fine with being unreachable and it was just really uncomfortable yeah somebody knows you better than you know yourself sometimes well and that's an interesting thing about the unreachability right is or the the uh was it FOMO I'm gonna yeah show my here. yeah <laughs> um that we have this whole thing that the smartphone particularly has really grouped us into um which is we have everything we need in our pocket um to make sure that we don't miss anything yeah which on one hand is is great and i love it but the other hand is it's just like i find myself asking at what cost Oh, of course, at what cost? I mean, right. that seems... I think, it was, I think it was Socrates. I might be wrong. Uh, that lamented about the, uh, the concept of books um, because he felt that with this new technology that people would stop memorizing things and it would harm our memory. So, I mean, the fear of technology, and I don't think very many people would lament books at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but there is always that technology comes at a cost. And unless we, the problem is now we just accept technology without question. Yeah. 
we rarely say, okay, yes, I now have this technology, but what am I going to lose because I have this? And I'd say one of the things that people have lost is introspection because they're always connected. There's never silence. They're never left alone with their thoughts. And so all of the ideas, the memes, the uh, headlines, the clickbait, all of that stuff is, is all we ever get. We don't, we rarely have the opportunity to sit back and deeply think about anything. And I hear so many people that are like, I don't like to be alone with my thoughts. And it's like, it's kind of like if you have like a really messy closet where you just kind of put everything. Yeah. The idea of cleaning that closet, you don't want to go in there. Like you do not want to be alone with that closet. Yeah. And ways I think our soul and our minds are like that right that we just keep getting all this junk all this noise all this clutter and we just keep shoving it into this place in our being and we just keep using more and more noise to distract us from the hard work that we each of us need to do to really clean out that space and I think social media is just contributing to that. And until we deliberately uh, silence some of the noise in our life, we're going to only have these frustrating interactions with one another. And we're going to take it out on each other. We're going to be angry with each other. We're going to point at other people's closets and point out how messy they are and completely ignore the fact that our door is barely on its hinges still from the load that's pressing against it right so yeah any thoughts about that oh i mean yeah i you know i you started talking about not wanting to be alone with your thoughts and i was just thinking how in my early days as a new baby evangelical how i was always afraid of prayer because of that reason and mm. things that would go through my mind it, it, that i had seemingly no control over that i would try and you know, soon as an image or a thought or something came in, I would try and redirect it instead of just letting it happen so I could get past it. Because yes. I, I, I don't know about you, I have no control, at least right now, as what goes through my mind sometimes. Yeah, sure, of course. And, and so I just, you know, so when somebody told me to just finally sit, when you're, when you're in that spot, and I think this is my counselor that did this, when you're in that spot, just let, this, let the thought happen. Yep because it's two seconds and you can get on with it, the, the, the deep work that needs to happen. So George, if you think about your day from the time you wake up until you go to sleep at night, what would you guess on average is the amount of complete silence that you have? And when I say complete silence, obviously if you're standing in your kitchen making coffee, there's noise going on. Oh, but about no music i'm talking about no no input of yeah. of information whether it be lyrics or be other or tv show or whatever podcasts um how many what is the amount of time per day on average that you would say is silent if you gathered it all up maybe two hours wow that's actually a lot uh, well I mean, it would just, you know, I'm thinking of like the 15 minutes before I fall asleep and then, you know, when I make my coffee and, and do everything, you know, I, I don't start listening to stuff until after I've showered and 
I'm getting ready for the day and then I turn a podcast on and listen to the news. Or if I'm cleaning my garage, I listen to an audiobook because I want to be entertained and, and thinking about nothing. <clears throat> um, I would say it depends on the day. So uh, let's, let's go maybe an hour to two hours, maybe. So what would you say is the amount of deliberate silence? Like intentionally silent. Uh, 15 minutes, maybe a half hour. Yeah. I, so when, when I lived in Blacksburg and even when I first moved back to Toledo, I had started doing this thing where I made every day have two hours of intentional silence. So, uh, accidental silence, I didn't count. So like, you know, get up, make my coffee, maybe not have anything on unless I was intentionally leaving that silent. But, you know, I started like walking everywhere instead of even riding my bike or taking public transportation and not putting in headphones and listening to a podcast, but just walking. And one of the weirdest part, and I think it's what you were kind of alluding to earlier, which is what made me think of it, is that I'd start walking and all of a sudden I'm having these profanity-laced fights with people imaginary imaginary debates and i'm just fighting with them and i'm arguing with them and i'm like emotions are going through me and in some way i think we no longer purge like our our bodies and our minds and our souls no longer get an opportunity to purge because we don't have a practice of silence and the world tells us that we are always interruptible. And the world tells us that we, if we're not consuming information, we're wasting time. And even then prioritize some information over others that, you know, if you're watching Netflix, that that's not as good as watching uh, the news, which is not as good as reading a book, which is not as good as blah, 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 right? It goes on and on. And so we even have this hierarchy. So even sometimes when we're watching one thing, we are feeling distressed that we're not in taking other information someplace else. And it's that constant persistent distress of our being. And then on top of it, not allowing us to detox ever from the inputs. And I think what happens sometimes is the conversations on Facebook or on social media become the release valve that allows us to blow steam. And instead of those profanity laced arguments being a purge that happens in silence while I walk, they happen in person when I'm engaging someone else and the steam is just built too much at that point. I think you're absolutely right. So I think we need more Sabbaths. I think we need more silence and wilderness time. I think we need to wake up early when the disciples are still sleeping and go sit up on the mountain. And we need to do that. And until we make silence a priority, uh, we're going to have this problem. And I think COVID has only exasperated it because now the silence is broken constantly, but it's broken constantly only by things that are mediated. No face-to-face -face noise.
it's all mediated noise, which means that it, it's distanced even further from the human contact that it comes from. I think that's a great place to stop. All right, let's do it. So stop. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Check us out on uh, Patreon, Twitter, Facebook. And say, hey, you know what? This week, just give that shit a break. <laughs> I mean, what's that? Podcast. And don't yep. listen until next week. All right. Have a great week. Bye. Hello, everyone. After recording this episode, uh, we had the idea to offer you the first five minutes of silence. Uh, so we're providing that. If you want, here's five minutes of silence, and then you can turn off the episode. Or if you don't want that, you can just turn it off now. But either way, hopefully um, you have a great week. <laughs>